Hi, Gavin. Hi, Louie. How was your um, 4th of July? It was wonderful. There were fireworks, and they lasted forever. They truly did. Yeah, they just never stopped. I think after 20 minutes, me and my friends were like, there's like popsicles inside. Let's just go get those. (laughs) I just want to give a heads up to everybody. It's a very cliche thing to do on a um, podcast. It's very hot in New York City. Mm -hmm. We're recording in a different place than we normally do. And so it's going to be echoey. And uh, so we're, we're in an actual cavern. Yeah, we're in a cavern. Like, you know, that scene in Little Mermaid? Yeah. Um, that's where we are. We're hanging out with some bears. And uh, actual bears. Actual bears. Actual yeah. real bears. Yeah, not the, not the gay ones. Not the gay ones. <laughs> the... We, we invited them. They're too hot. Yeah, exactly. no. <laughs> Welcome to the Mixed Reviews. Welcome, guys. Thanks for listening, guys. We took a little break because of the holiday. Um, but before we get into our new episode, let's do some old business. Mm, some real old business with our young friend, Sandra Bullock. And I want to say that I got, like, at this um, 4th of July party, we kind of, like, got into it with a friend. Oh, I was like, did you do informal polling? Is that- I, I was like, what are you, no, you guys are wrong. <laughs> no, but, like, we were talking about Ocean's 8, and there, some people were like, it's so fun, I loved it. And I was like, ugh, it was, like, such a snooze fest. I think you're still wrong, but it's fine. And... Um, I'm also trying to find our poll and I can't find it. Um, I found it, just kidding. Um, and, uh, and I was like, guys, also the opening scene of Sandra Bullock's face, just like smoothed for the gods. Yeah. And everyone's like, no, shut up. She's gorgeous. And I'm like, I'm not saying she's not gorgeous. Right, right. I'm saying she's 54 years old and I would like her to present as such. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. I understand. I get it. I get it. Um, but I love her. We all love her. We all love her. Um, but you know what the people love the most? Miscongeniality <laughs> with a whopping fifty-seven percent. Um, and honestly, I, I know I already know what you're gonna say. I'm not gonna say. I'm, I don't I, think you do. I already, is that her best performance, or is that this the movie that we love the most? <laughs> Damn, your impression of me is so good. I mean, honestly, like accurate. I, I'm like an actor, performer, oh singer, God. dancer, songwriter. It was like you became. Me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Speed came in at second at 23%. Gravity came in third at 14%. And The Blind Side came at 6%. I wasn't going to say, is that her best performance? Though, I do think it's a valid point. I was going to say, the wording of that poll is a little suspect. Because you don't ask about performance. You ask about movie. Yeah. <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> like, if... Louis, you, you I can, you. you can oh, give I a really good performance and, like, a really bad movie. And I'm like... <laughs> Like, no, I didn't, I would not have given the Oscar to Meryl Streep and Iron Lady. <laughs> no, that was Viola's. Ugh. Are you still, are you still, sta- still, still angry about that? I'm still angry. <laughs> um, After all these years? <laughs> um, and then we also had uh, Megan saying that she voted for Gravity because she thinks it's one of her best performances, but she loves While You Were Sleeping. Yeah, um, so good. Because, uh, it's kind of like the peak of her powers of, uh, rom-com-ness. Um, someone else Which said- Which she sort of turned her back on, but it is yeah. still so good, I mean. Um, someone also said Practical Magic. We had some people saying, like, why isn't the heat on here? Which, honestly, fair. Very fair. fair. Solid. The, the heat is iconic. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so, yeah, I had a lot of fun with Miss Congeniality, uh, Miss Congeniality here. With Miss Congeniality. With Miss Congeniality. Yes, exactly. With Miss Congeniality Money yeah. Exchange. Money. <laughs> Speaking of Sandra Bullock, we actually did get a little piece of fan mail. Uh, I do want to read this because, as I mentioned before, if you email us, we'll actually read it on air. Actually. Actually. Uh, Mike writes to us to say, good afternoon, guys. Just wanted to send a little note about how much I love the podcast and enjoyed this episode. Louie, I'm with you with hating that I enjoy watching Forces of Nature. Mike, you are my best friend. <laughs> and did I mention, uh, did I miss any mention of Hope Floats? One of the cheesiest movies of all time, but one I secretly love to death. Anyways, thanks for doing this. Um, we I, didn't mention Hope Floats, did we? We did. 
Not too much. I cut it out. Ah! I cut out any mention of floats. I'm sorry, Mike. It is, in fact, a very cheesy movie. Correct. Correct. Um, and thank you. We have to join join our forces of nature to end the hate. It's a it's okay to be forces of nature. It's okay. All right, Gavin. <laughs> Enough. Thank you, Mike, for writing in. Uh, we really do appreciate it. And anybody who wants to write in can also email us. Honestly, only email us if you're going to side with me to bring <laughs> Gavin down. Thank uh, you. Email us at reviewsmixed at gmail.com. <laughs> but yeah, so enough of Sandra Bullock. Um, Gavin, who are we talking about today? Today we're talking about uh, legendary legacy Michael Douglas. Yes. Hollywood man himself. Yeah, very much so. Uh, he's an interesting... Like, I, I got this very interesting thing about... I, I'll i end up probably talking about it more towards the end of the, the rewind. But uh, why don't... In fact, why don't we just get into... Please. Our rewind. Please. Michael Kirk Douglas, clearly his middle name is named after his father... Uh, was born on September 25th, 1944. That makes him 73 years old. Uh, he was born in New Brunswick, New Jersey, um, and he's Kirk Douglas's first child. Uh, he's his mother's actress, Diana Dill, who passed away in 2015. Kirk Douglas, for many people who don't know, maybe we'll end up doing an episode on him, is uh, like a legendary Hollywood performer, usually played these like very stalwart men. Um, he's Spartacus. Uh, he was Spartacus. Yeah, he actually is. No matter what Tony Curtis tells you. <laughs> oh my you. god! Okay. Yeah. Um, and he, uh, you know, he got very famous. For, like I said, playing these very stalwart men, but also he was really good at playing a scumbag as mm-hmm. well. Um, things like Ace in the Hole or uh, the the Bad and the Beautiful. Um, he's a classic Hollywood icon. So of course, you know, his first son would. Want to follow? Yeah, exactly. Take up that uh, mantle. I think um, I read an article where it said where Kirk Douglas said I played um, a lot of son of a bitches, and I was like, <laughs> okay, work. <laughs> and I was like, also that could apply to Michael Douglas Absolutely. because the hilar- um, the, uh, the the background of their family is kind of interesting. Uh, his paternal grandparents are Jewish immigrants from Shaughnessy, uh, which is now in Belarus, uh, which was part of the Russian Empire, um, and. Uh, his father was born Ashur Daniel Danielovich. Ashur Danielovich. Um, his mother was from Devonshire Parish in Bermuda and had Eng- English, Irish, Scottish, Welsh, French, Belgian, and Dutch industry. Douglas's uncle was a politician, Sir Nicholas Baird Dill, and Douglas's maternal grandfather, Lieutenant Colonel Thomas Melville Dill, served as Attorney General of Bermuda as a member of the Parliament of Bermuda and as commanding officer of the Bermuda Militia Artillery. So, like, the... On his mother's side, they were basically like high class fucks, <laughs> like <laughs> colonial motherfuckers yeah, in Bermuda, exactly, like, like serving and like serving people who I'm sure were doing great things. I know, for I'm us. sure they were like super friendly to yeah. the natives. Oh, absolutely wonderful, and just yeah, just solid. Whenever you hear, when people. you ever hear, like I'm a lieutenant of Bermuda, I'm like, okay, yeah, like, exactly. I already know. I, I've painted the picture; it is clear. <laughs> so uh, when you hear the phrase "old money," mm. think of the Douglas family, right? <laughs> oh my, like, and it's not even like my dad is famous. It's like also my grandparents; they like own Bermuda, <laughs> exactly. Basically, <laughs> basically, uh, Douglas has a younger brother, Joel Douglas, and two paternal half brothers, Peter Douglas and Eric Douglas, from uh, his stepmother Anne Boydens. Which is a great last name. Uh, he attended Allen Stevenson School in New York City, Eagle Brook School in Deerfield, Massachusetts, and the Choate Preparatory School in Wallingford, Connecticut. He received his BA in drama from the University of California, Santa Barbara, 
1968, where he was an honorary president of the UCSB Alumni Association. Um, and then he went on to study acting in the wind handyman at the American Palace Theater in New York. Um, it's weird because uh, I'm I'm nervous this won't be a, a very like super detailed background on him because I'll be honest, Michael Douglas didn't struggle mm-hmm. and really didn't struggle. Very famous family who seemed to get along. His father divorced his mother, but she remained a presence in his life for a long period. She even went on to play his mother in the movie (laughs) It Runs in the Family. Um, Wait, but I I think I read an article saying that he, like, wasn't his father, like, distant? His father was in Hollywood making movies, and, like, he felt like his father wasn't a presence in his life. But that's that's the story of every Hollywood actor who's a luminary. But it's different than, like, when we did Jane Fonda, and you hear stories about Henry Fonda's wife killing herself, and him being like, well, gotta go do a play. Sure. But I think it is relevant to Michael specifically because he... So he had a very weird relationship with his dad, who was busy being a Hollywood man, um, and then that kind of, like, repeats itself with his son, um, Cameron. So, like, and it's, like, a, talk about fucking cliches. Like, you know, like, oh, no, like, my dad hated me and, or whatever. And then, like, oh, I had a son and, like, but, bye. And I, well, I, f- I feel like that's the thing, though. Like, I feel like his father didn't hate him. I feel like his father was just very dedicated to the work. And in a way, Michael Douglas becomes... And I've heard him talk about uh, being away from his family for, you know, he is somebody who would do a film and then take a year off. And mm-hmm. then do another film and take a year off, spend more time with his family. The way that I've structured it with my family um, is something's got to give. And when I'm doing a picture, my family takes a back seat. And the only reason that they're able to do that is that I then take big chunks of time off to focus only with my family. So uh, when Romancing the Stone comes out like March 30th, and then I'll wind it up about a week afterwards, and then I'm going to spend the summer with my family, and particularly my, my son. And uh, they all seem to be in sync. That seems to be the best way to do it. I think for anybody, forgetting even this business, it's very tough, especially with newlyweds, trying to struggle with a career and your family at the same time. Something's got to give. But the other thing, and I'm about to get into it, is he's also very involved behind the camera. Right. Um, So his first TV breakthrough role came in 1969 for CBS TV Playhouse special, The Experiment. Um, I could not find this. I looked for it for weeks. Uh, but basically it's about an engineer who sort of like sells his, not sells his soul, but like compromises his laurels to go work for a larger company. Um, and it's him and John Aston. Is it about me? It is. It <laughs> oh is. God. Um, he then started his film career in the late sixties and early seventies. Um, he appeared in little known films such as Hail Hero, Adam at 6am and Summer Tree. Uh, his performance in Hail Hero earned him a nomination of Golden Globe Awards for Most Promising Male Newcomer, which is a reward that doesn't exist anymore. Um, but then he got cast in a TV show called The Streets of San Francisco. And he co-starred on this show with Carl Malden, who eventually became his acting mentor. And I think that kind of goes back to the whole thing about his distance from his father. I like that he sort of looked for somebody that wasn't like his father. Most people uh, who listen to this podcast might not, rec- not re- know who Carl Malden is, but they would recognize him if they saw him. He has a very like mm-hmm. serious face. He did many, many films in the 40s and 50s. Um, and he was the president of the Academy of Motion Pictures of Arts and Scientists from 89... Uh, uh, the president of the Mo- Academy of Motion Pictures of Arts and Sciences from 1989 to 1992. So Carl Malden is a big Hollywood name. Kind of a big deal. But it's but like I said, it's really interesting that he looked for 
guidance from somebody who wasn't his father. So it wasn't right. like he was copying his father's career. So I got this, uh, you know, I've got this gift from my parents of this, this acting DNA and their love of our profession. But it was someone else, you know, who really became my true mentor, and that was Carl Malden. And I saw Carl this morning. I stopped by. He's, um, he's 95. He wanted to be here tonight. And I just want him always to know that I'll be his adopted son anytime. I think San Francisco ran from 72 to 76. I, I saw some of it. It's, it's good. It's like a police procedural. Yeah. Um, but that's, I think it's also an interesting thing to remember that there's specifically in that era, the sixties through like the nineties, there's a lot of like, you couldn't be a TV star and be a film star or vice versa. You can't right. be a film star and be a TV star. Michael Douglas. Easy. TV, TV star. Yeah. Like he started off as a TV star. Yeah. Um, and then made a name for himself in film, you know? So I don't know. I just, th- I think that's an interesting like Hollywood myth. Wasn't his like first like breakthrough into film though was producing, right? Well, yes. So, uh, I mean, no, technically not. I mean, because he did act first. Okay. Yeah. Um, but like his like big like breakthrough was One Flew Over Cuckoo's Nest, yes, right? Like that's yeah. like, and, and I'm get, I'm getting to that. The, um, but yeah, in in 1975, he received the rights to One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest from his father, Kirk right. Douglas, um, and Mike. Daddy loved me <laughs> exactly, and uh, or reverse, <laughs> son loved me. Uh-huh, like, true, and um, so he decided he was going to produce the film with Saul Zenitz. Um, and it's funny because Kirk Douglas was really hoping to portray um, uh, McMurphy, the main character of the film. And Michael Douglas himself had to be like, dad, you're too old. Sorry. Yeah. And Jack Nicholson was cast in the role and he goes on to win best actor at the Academy Awards that year. And also Michael Douglas picks up his first Academy Award, not for what you think it would be, which would be acting, since he's a famous actor, but for producing. It wins Best Picture. Yeah. And he gets an Academy Award for producing the best picture that came out. Then. Very casual. Yeah. Which is amazing. And I don't think a lot of people realize that, that right. Michael Douglas's first Academy Award has nothing to do with the profession he's chosen. It's, like, really not that hard, guys. It's, like, <laughs> get your dad to give you, like, the rights to a famous book and then, like, make the movie. Like, right. Like, that's all you have to do. So his... his uh during the time that he was doing Streets of San Francisco, he also did this really fucking weird Disney movie, which I found, <gasps> called Napoleon and Samantha, about a boy who's... It's dark for a Disney movie, by the way. A boy whose father grandfather dies, but first, before he dies, they're left a circus lion? Mm-hmm. A tame circus lion. So his grandfather dies, and the boy doesn't want to get sent to an orphanage, so he hires a man in town, played by Michael Douglas, to help him bury his grandfather. Okay. And then tells Michael Douglas that his uncle is coming. So Michael Douglas leaves him alone. And then the kid decides to run away with his best friend, played by her... her the very, lion? No. Well, he does leave with the lion as well. But uh, Jodie Foster in her very first screen role. <laughs> wow. And they travel looking for Michael Douglas. Now, I'd like you to tell me again exactly what your grandfather said about your, your uncle and... Oh, that's Major, my lion. It's time for his milk. Your lion. 
Uh, like I said, it's a really weird fucking movie. Also, the other the only reason I bring it up, the really interesting fact about this movie is uh, Jodie Foster was attacked by the lion. No. And she still has scars on her stomach and back and to this day is still afraid of cats. I mean, honestly, fucking same. Yeah. Like, how old is she? She must have been like, what, 12? She, yeah. Younger. Younger. Jesus like Christ. Eight. Yeah. Attacked by a lion? I don't think yeah. so. Honey. It picked her up and put her put her in its mouth. No, fuck no, no. no. I would have been like, I'm quitting Hollywood forever. Yeah, bye. bye. I'm quitting um, this life forever. Uh, yeah. So, anyways, uh, and then after that, like after you know producing for the first time, he decides that he he's he's gonna make himself a movie star. He stars in this film called Coma from 1978, which uh, he got a lot of credit for. I watched it. He's not the star of that movie. I like Coma a lot. Yeah, and he's not the star. He's not the star of that movie, but. I was like, this movie is fucking good. Yeah. Oh, it's no. It's really, a surprisingly good thriller. It's really cool. It is like, there are really great scenes where like, visually it just like looks really cool. Um, if Direct, you guys can find it. Directed by Michael Crichton. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Crazy. And like the star is like his wife character. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I really like that movie. Yeah. Um, and then he went on to produce and star in a film that we've spoke of before. My favorite performance from Jane Fonda. Uh, the China Syndrome. Yeah, the China Syndrome. Um, which, once again, the most lucrative timing when the Three Mile Isle yeah. incident occurred uh, three uh, three weeks after the film's release, or 12 days after the film's release, and made the film a huge hit. But, as I mentioned before, Jane Fonda's really amazing in it. Mm-hmm. He's really amazing in it. Yeah. Um, their chemistry is great, and it's not like a love thing between them. Right. It's really funny because these both of these movies, he's not really the star. No. But like, they're so good and interesting, and it's like really a nice um, seeing him like kind of like share the space. Right. And I wonder if he was. It really seems like he was more interested in creating really um, interesting and like different and unique stories instead of being like, "This is my time." And like, right. And that and that's what I, that is what I think is interesting about him. Uh, in a way, it's a very sort of Sandra Bullock like thing, except he got his start sort of doing it, mm-hmm. sort of being like, "This is the persona I want to craft for myself, and this is the the jobs I want to create for myself and for other people." Right. And Sandra Bullock had to sort of wait. Probably because she's a woman. Right. Um, to like actually get the reins of her career and move it in that direction. Yeah. It's almost like, I mean, and man, I can't imagine if like you've produced this Oscar winning movie and then now you're like, okay, what, what's next? And I'm sure people were just like money here. Yeah, absolutely. And he was like, instead of giving himself just like all these plum rolls, he's like, I'm going to make this Jane Fonda movie. Right. Well, and that's the other thing too, to like come across the Jane Fonda movie that she's producing herself mm-hmm. too. And to have enough faith into it to decide to co-produce it. Right. Like, I mean, that's a lot. That's pretty cool. Yeah. In the strictest technical sense, we could all be considered accessories just for having that film on the premises. Bullshit. It's just all bullshit. Don't kick me under the table. I'm not going to shut up. Oh, Richard, come on. Now, look, have you seen what they officially released? Uh, an unanticipated transient? Yes. What the hell is that, huh? What is it? It was an accident and we could have been killed. Don't you think that's stretching it a little bit? Well, that's stretching it a bit. Thank you. According to CG&E, you're in no real danger at any time. Don, I know what you're saying. But if you'd been there, it'd be hard to believe there wasn't any danger at all. I mean, maybe we should show it to an expert and get an, an objective opinion. Kimberly, the film stays in the vault. This is all a goddamn cover-up. And then his first big, huge hit as, like, a leading man mm-hmm. is 1984's Romancing the Stone, mm-hmm. in which he plays um, sort of the, what I called the sort of, like, inverse of the Indiana Jones. He's, right. like, kind of a loser, like a sexy loser. Ooh, <laughs> sexy loser. Yeah. Oh my God. And, and he's, like, a, he's a, a bird 
not poacher because he doesn't kill them. He like smuggles birds out of Colombia. Honestly, I watched that movie and I had no idea what he was doing there. Yeah, I, I truly was like. It just seems like he was like, why not? Life sucks. <laughs> that's, and that's kind of what it, I mean, that's his character of Jack, like, is sort of that. He's like a very free spirit and he just lives in the jungles of Colombia smuggling birds out, which, as I mentioned to Dan, and he's like, that's not a real thing. And I was like, it is. I mean, so, it, yeah. it almost, he's like, there's like a shootout and it's almost, he's like, ugh, just another Tuesday shooting <laughs> out with the cartels and, you know. <laughs> Saving dumb bitches from America. Like. Uh, but that that's his first film with Kathleen Turner mm-hmm. and his college friend, Danny DeVito. Yes. Uh, they would Both then, forces in his career. Yeah, absolutely. They would go on the next year to star in a financial success but critical flop, The Jewel of the Nile, mm-hmm. which is a sequel yeah. to Romancing the Stone, but is not very good. And, <laughs> and I did not watch that one because I was like, I'm, I'm done with this series. I, I had never seen it before. And the concept is good, which is that they basically get embroiled in another adventure. But the Jewel of the Nile is a person. It's not a mm. not an expensive thing. And actually, the way they bring Danny DeVito back into it is really smart, too. And I, I, I don't want to say, go out and watch this movie just for those things. But, like, there, there's some stuff to it. And... The chemistry between Kathleen Turner and Michael Douglas is undeniable. Yeah. I really think that they have an amazing screen presence together yeah. and play off each other really well. And that's really what carries that second film. I think also like a lot of his career is about like finding these women who are able to like battle with him essentially. Yes. And like every time like I watch all these movies, I'm like, damn, he's good with that girl. And then, like, the next one, I'm like, damn, he's good and, with her, too. And honestly, like, rewarding that battle off screen, because the the big story of The Jewel of the Nile is they really only made it because they were under contract. But Michael Douglas made out better because he was like, if I'm under contract, I'm going to produce this one. So, like, even right at the beginning of the movie, it says, like, a Michael Douglas production. And then she, like, she was like, well, if he's going to produce it, I want rewrites i want like i want final approval of the script and they didn't give it to her and she almost pulled she was gonna let them sue her and michael douglas fought for her for her to get those rewrites good yeah and it's like good but once again it sucks that she didn't have the leverage he did just because he's a man and she's a woman because i'll be honest kathleen turner's really sort of the star of those movies oh for sure Yeah, yeah um then um you know, the 80s is an amazing time for Michael Douglas because then in 87, you have Fatal Attraction mm-hmm. and Wall Street. The one-two punch. The one-two punch. Fatal Attraction, very famous movie in which him and Glenn Close have a very normal, healthy relationship. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, where everybody Goals. ends up happy and mm-hmm. it's a very happy ending. Um, if you've seen Bridget Jones, you know this is not true. And um, <laughs> the uh, Yeah, and uh, Glenn Close, uh, he has an affair with her and she starts stalking him and it does not end well. Right. And the very famous... Uh, scene in which she boils a bunny which i watched it with my friend and roommate andrea and she as soon as she saw the money in the movie she's like is this a movie where something bad happens to animals and i was yes. like that's the one thing everybody knows about this movie that and also going close to this iconic line i won't be ignored dan <laughs> but i'm gonna tell you it's gonna stop right now no it's not gonna stop it's gonna go on and on until you face up to your responsibilities my responsibilities i'm pregnant i'm gonna have our child Alex, that's your choice, honey. That has nothing to do with me. I just want to be a part of your life. Oh, this is the way you do it, huh? Showing up at my apartment? What am I supposed to do? You won't answer my calls. You change your number. I mean, I'm not going to be ignored, Dan. Honestly, she delivers it Glenn so well. Close is an American icon. Oh, man. absolutely. I mean, that movie is... I mean, it's good. It's a good movie, but, like, also... It's crazy. I was like, <laughs> but I was like, 
they literally no reason why he cheats on his wife. Yeah, she's yeah, beautiful. No. They're she's moving. Great. She's fine. Like, like literally no reason, just because he's a man who can't keep it in his pants. The uh, the other film we have to talk about, like I said, that comes out the same year as Wall Street. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't love Wall Street. Never loved Wall Street. Um, I think it's got good moments. I think the acting saves a lot of it. I think his performance, especially, uh, he plays Gordon Gecko, and he's basically like the embody the living embodiment of the eighties. It's basically Truly. it's Oliver Stone's sort of indictment of the eighties. He gives the famous. Greed is good. Mm-hmm. Greed, for lack of a better term, is good. Yeah. Speech. I am not a destroyer of companies. I am a liberator of them. The point is, ladies and gentlemen, that greed, for lack of a better word, is good. Greed is right. Greed works. Greed clarifies, cuts through, and captures of the evolutionary spirit. Greed in all of its forms. Greed for life, for money, for love, knowledge has marked the upward surge of mankind and greed, you mark my words, will not only save Teldar paper, but that other malfunctioning corporation called the USA. Thank you very much. And yeah, I don't know how much more to say about it other than that's the movie that he wins his Academy Award for Best Actor for. Yep. I'd like to uh, dedicate this award to William Darred, Diana Douglas Darred, Ann Douglas and Kirk Douglas, my parents and step-parents who have been extremely supportive and loving to me over the years, and in particular to my father, who I don't think ever missed one of my college productions for his continued support and for helping a a son step out of the shadow. I'll be eternally grateful to you, Dad, for that. Yeah, I mean, I watched it and I was like, okay. Yeah, I mean, it's good that you can check, like, an iconic film off your list. Right, right. And I I hadn't seen it before and I was like, oh, both Sheens are here. That's cool. Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and Gecko's an asshole. Like, oh, Daryl Hannah's there also. Daryl Hannah, Hannah's there also. Like her entire career, right? <laughs> Daryl Hannah happens to be there. Uh, yeah, like I mentioned to you earlier, like watching the, for this episode, it was just like a tour through the eighties, yeah, and what that was like. Yeah, you're like there are a lot of three button suits. <laughs> yeah, 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 <laughs> like... and a lot of just like money. Where I need money. Um, also, I will say this for being as popular as he was in the eighties. Just bad hairstyle after bad hairstyle. Well, like, he's like, I mean, like, I don't feel bad talking about his looks because he's a man. He's like a weird looking dude. Yeah, he's not, he's not like, the funny thing about his father is, I will say his father's very striking looking and very like, like, like I said, feels sort of like a man's man in yeah. the way that you would think about that. Michael Douglas doesn't have, he's a little softer. And I'm not saying like, like not fit. He's fit in a lot of his movies, right. but like there's this, softer quality to him and but also it's still that rigid right. and it doesn't mesh well he like, like I think so no one looks like him no there are a lot of people who are like oh he, that's just like another blonde hot guy whatever yeah. like no one looks like Michael Douglas um, but he just gives off that everyman vibe yeah and so you're able like you put him in all these movies like in the early 90s and it's like husband 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 yeah. like and it's kind of like the same thing over and over again because like he is the everyman but his look is so distinct, it's kind of like he stands out. He's able to do that thing where he stands out, but also is like, you feel like you're connected to him. Yeah. 
Uh, to close out the 80s, he stars in his third collaboration with both uh, Kathleen Turner and Danny DeVito, uh, which is The War of the Roses, directed by Danny DeVito, uh, which is a personal favorite of mine. Mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. movie's dark as fuck, and mm-hmm. I love every second of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, he also does Ridley Scott's Black Rain, which is as close to a Tony Scott film as I think Ridley Scott ever got to. It's an actioner. It's a buddy cop movie, kind of, of sorts. It's a fish out of water. But Michael Douglas plays a complete asshole in that movie, and I, I, I don't... He... Uh, before we even get into our picks, I just want to say he's completely miscast in that movie. I mean, I think Michael Douglas after like what, uh, I mean, after wall street, like he's like, Oh, I'm really good at playing an asshole. Yeah. And he does. And then, then, then when the nineties come around, he starts doing all of his sexual thrillers. Mm-hmm. You get 1992's basic instinct, mm-hmm. which, you know, big controversy over bisexuality and lesbianism being, yes. you know, like yes. murderous things. And then in 1994, he does uh, Disclosure. Disclosure, oh my uh, God. With Demi Moore, in which he's sexually harassed by his new female boss, played by Demi Moore, who was, by the way, uh-huh. a good 20 years younger than him in I, that movie. I literally was thinking that same, when I was watching, I was like, really? Like, really? Like, having to perform fake fellatio on him. Uh-huh. And I was just like, this... Poor woman. I know. She, and she looked great because she's beautiful, but also they gave her like a Disney villain haircut, like they parted really, down the yeah. middle and like big hair. Yeah. Yeah. That movie is ridiculous. Yeah. Very ridiculous. Um, and from there, I feel like you really get the sort of, um, the like peak, like, like Michael Douglas nineties. You get falling down the American president, the ghost in the darkness, the game, uh, the, a perfect murder, which is a remake of Alfred Hitchcock's style and for murder. I actually controversial opinion like it better than i like dial in for murder wow um and then and then like you know he uh moves into the 2000s and he starts sort of i think he sort of finally hits the point of like oh i can kind of work with whoever i want and i guess it starts a little bit in the mid 90s he did work with david fincher in in uh the game and uh but like you get him in steven soderbergh's traffic um which he played against his wife, Catherine Zeta-Jones, um, and Wonder Boys, uh, which oh, he was God. he was nominated for a Golden Globe Award uh, for Best Actor in a Drama, and and so on and, and so forth. And then his career starts to kind of... Uh, it's not great. There's <laughs> Don't Say a Word in 2001. It runs in the family. The passion project he did with his father and his son. Um, <laughs> he does The Sentinel, which is also a movie he produced in which he plays a... Secret Service member okay. who like is accused of murdering the president or accused of trying to murder the president, but he's really trying to uncover who's trying to. It's all really bad. Um, and uh, yeah, and so I feel like the two thousands are really not a great time right. for him. Um, but then things start to come back around movie wise. Uh, but before I get to the rest of the movie stuff, I've skipped over a bunch of personal stuff. He did Summer Tree in 1971. He began dating Brenda Vaccaro. Then they, that relationship lasted for six years. I love Brenda Vaccaro because she has a deep voice. <laughs> um, in uh, 1977, uh, 32-year-old Michael Douglas married uh, 19-year-old Deandra Luker, the daughter of an, Austral- of an Austrian diplomat. Um, and that's when he, his son Cameron came about. Um, he married a 19-year-old? Yeah. And they filed for divorce in 1995. So the relationship, uh, you know, lasted a while. Um, she filed, she was the one who filed for the divorce and she got $45 million out Jesus. of this settlement. In 99, he meets Catherine Zeta-Jones. 
so he like essentially sees the mask of Zorro and is just like, get me a number. I need her. Yeah. And basically, and I've heard him tell this story and he seems to know that it wasn't a cool thing. Right. But he like gets kind of inappropriate with her. So I said, I, right. I asked the gentleman, my, my publicist, I, I'd really like to, to meet her. Can you find out if I can have a, a, a drink with her? And, um, so they got back to me and said, yes, she's only going to be in for the one night, but she was about, she was in the middle of making entrapment at that time. And I met her, you know, in, in the bar and the total gentleman. And then uh, they had to go off and do their work. And I said, you know, a chance if you, when you come back, you know, if you want to have a nightcap and stuff. And she came back after all her work. We sat there for a little while. And uh, I said to her after about half an hour, you know, I'm going to be the father of your children. <laughs> and uh, things move fast. Yeah, that, yeah, but I, it, it sounded good. And she said, you know, I've heard a lot about you. <laughs> and I've seen a lot about you. And uh, I think it's time that I say good night. Wow. <laughs> and so I thought, oh, I've totally blew. She was gone early the next morning. Essentially, like, a year of, like, wooing her, yes. essentially. Being like, hey, oh god, I can just imagine Michael Douglas on the phone. Hey, Catherine hey. Zeta. <laughs> um, so they're married in two thousand, but in a year. Uh, so he wears her down. Yeah, he wears her down. They're twenty five years apart, uh, which once again, uh, age is just a number. But uh, I mean, it's a number, but also a pattern. He right. married a nineteen year old, True. and then he married someone twenty five uh, years. Is- but they they did end up having two children together: Dylan Michael, who was born in two thousand, and Karis Zeta, who was born in two thousand three. Um, in 2013, People Magazine claimed that they were living separately um, and that they were looking at actions towards separation and divorce. Um, and then after taking some time apart in later in 2013, um, they reconciled and they moved to New York together. Uh, yeah, if both of you are willing, you know, to do it, it can't be, you know, a one way, a one way street. But I'm crazy about her. And, yeah, I think every every couple has their difficult times. The only problem is, as you well know, we're all in the public eye, and it tends to get a little more exposed um, than most. Uh, but we're back st- uh, stronger stronger than ever. And then just a little more background on um, uh, Douglas. Uh, he was born Jewish. Uh, his mother's Anglican, but uh, he uh, wasn't really raised with any religious affiliation. Uh, but he does now identify as a reformed Jew. Uh, his son Dylan had a bar mitzvah ceremony, and the Douglas family traveled to Jerusalem to mark the occasion. Cool. So, like, I mean, it's clearly doing stuff. Um, he does have both U.S. citizenship and British citizenship really? through Bermuda Ugh. because of the part of the family. <laughs> and uh, I, w- I will say uh, before before we move out of the rewind. Um, because I don't want to completely absolve him because, I, I mean, we're doing Michael Douglas. Clearly, something was going to happen at some point in the Me Too movement, you know, saying, oh. in 2018, journalist and author Susan Brody alleged on U.S. television program Today and in several interviews that while in her 40s and working for Douglas in 1989, Douglas regularly, regularly made degrading comments around her or towards her. She stated this prompted her to wear baggy clothing at work. Douglas admits to coarse language, but categorically denies wrongdoing in a statement. His wife, Catherine Zeta-Jones, did not address the incidents, but said Douglas strongly supports the Me Too movement, which encourages women to speak out about harassment at work. Huh. Yeah. I mean, it's shitty. Yeah. It's real shitty. It's, I wonder, like, if 
that was De Rigueur in yeah. 89. Yeah. You know, like, and I, I absolutely, which is not to defend it. No, but, and yeah. I absolutely, I absolutely believe that he was yeah. making comments that were oh, crazy absolutely. and like degrading to women, like absolutely. Um, and it just kind of like speaks to how fucking awful it must have been to be a woman trying to make it in Hollywood. You know, Jesus Christ, we just did Jane Fonda and like, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. How, how, how were women even successful? Yeah, without no, one hundred percent, one hundred percent, without hating themselves. You um, know? Like the uh, so that brings us. I mean, that brings us up to like the the twenty tens, and he kind of hits one of his biggest roles when, even though it ends up being an HBO movie, he stars as Liberace and Steven Soderbergh's uh, Behind the Cap- Candelabra, mm-hmm. um, and from there he gets cast in a Marvel movie, which I guess is I mean, what we all as- aspire to someday. I'm going to be in one, I guess, yeah, someday. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Howard the Duck. Yeah, yeah. Howard the Duck. Yeah, th- thank you. <laughs> um, Not based off looks, Louis. They can motion <laughs> capture me. <laughs> um, he also, like, after, before, right before Behind the Candelabra is when he had his bat with throat cancer. Yeah. Correct. And actually, interesting fact about that. Uh, so he he goes on. He announces he has throat cancer, and he goes on Letterman. It's a very famous interview. Is it a, a throat? Is that what yeah, it is? It's, it's throat. So I've just finished my I finished my first week of radiation and chemo, um, and it's uh, about eight an eight week eight week struggle. So you you've already begun the the regimen. Yeah, I've, I've started the regimen already. I mean, I mean, you you've never looked better to me, and this proves that you're a tough guy. For God's sake. <laughs> And just to let people get a little peek behind the candelabra, um, I worked in news for 10 years, and most people don't realize that. Some people do. Um, when you work in the news, uh, you edit obituaries ahead of time so they're yeah. ready. Yeah. And as soon as he announced he had cancer, I was the one who got to work on his obituary. So I have cut Michael Douglas's obituary. It's ready, willing, and yeah. able to go out. When, uh, but also some new facts have come to light. Uh, which he admitted that it wasn't throat cancer. Really? It was tongue cancer. And he just put the tongue on my pet, and I saw this look in his eye. And I went, oh. Douglas said his doctor told him to lie. He said, well, if you really want to know why, is that if we do have to do surgery, it's not going to be pretty. Mm. You know, you lose part of your jaw and your tongue and, you know, and all of that stuff. He also gave that crazy interview where he said he got it because he was... G- going down on Catherine Zeta-Jones right. too much, yeah, but, then, which, but also like, which was like shocking that he said something irrespective of right, women, right? Like, but also like, I read this interview and it was like he says, "Oh, you get it because of HPV, and it's because right. I was going down on her too much." But also like the way to get rid of it is to go down on her more, essentially. And the the, the journalist, it's a it's a Guardian interview, and he's like, "Just so I'm being clear." You're saying you got this because of cunnilingus and that the way to treat this is more cunnilingus. And he's like, yeah, science. Crazy, I, right? I feel like this is the Tiffany Haddish turpentine thing all over again. It's, yeah, it's like it's insanity. <laughs> um, I was like, okay, cool. But I mean, so he beats it. And then um, they put off doing Behind the Candelabra yes. so he could recuperate and... And and I think it was a better performance for it. Yeah, yeah uh, great. obviously, because I mean he you know wasn't suffering during it. <laughs> right. Um, and then the other the other personal life thing before we move on, obviously, uh, we brought up his son before his son Cameron from mm-hmm. his first marriage. Uh, he does a movie with him in two thousand three. It runs in the family. And then it's funny because the storyline in it runs in the family is Cameron has a drug problem and mm-hmm. gets busted for it. And art in imita- imitating life. Yep. Cameron has a drug problem. Yeah, and gets busted for it. Uh huh. He goes to prison for seven years. Yeah. Well, you deal with everything specifically. I mean, Cameron coming out of print- prison doesn't have anything to do with my uh, my uh, cancer uh, and surviving that. Um, but he he's doing great. I'm sure he'll be 
time for him to tell this story when he's uh, uh, ready to. I mean, he spent seven years in prison as a nonviolent drug offender, approximately two years in, uh, in solitary. Um, and uh, I'm sure he'll be prepared to tell, to tell a story when he's, uh, when he's ready. And it was like, and seven was like the, like probably the best outcome of it. Cause, yeah. Um, I read an article when uh, in Vanity Fair that while Cameron had just gone to prison and they were like, <laughs> he might not come out until he's like 45, you know? Yeah. And like he, uh, Michael Douglas may not live to see his son outside of jail. And so he just got out of jail recently. Yeah. This is a very recent thing. And, uh, I mean, I'm happy to see a family reunited, but like, it's yeah. a hard thing to go through, I'm sure, even if you're a celebrity. Right. And yeah. I think the same interview, or not the same one, but, um, I read, you know, he, him and his son have reconnected and have a stronger relationship. And, uh, he's trying to not have the same relationship he had with his father. Absolutely. Um, uh, speaking of his father, um, he has, uh, received the Golden Globe, uh, Michael Douglas has received the Golden Globe Cecil B. DeMille Award for, outstanding contributions to the world of entertainment and the AFI life achievement award. You don't always receive lifetime achievement awards during your lifetime. Right. Um, you don't often receive them while your father is still alive. And Kirk Douglas is over a hundred years old and still alive. Still alive. Um, I, I'm very happy he's still alive. I'm very respectful of the fact that he's still alive. I kind of wish they wouldn't wheel him out it's for public so events anymore. Weird. Yeah, because he's clearly he can't. Yeah, control his face. Yeah, and he had a stroke even before they did it. Runs in the family, and it's clearly now after 20 years past that. Like right. gotten and, the best of him, and, and they really like wheeling him out for the Golden Globes yeah, or like the Oscars, and it's like. And let that poor man rest. Yeah, he, yeah. He, we get it. Like, yeah, he's paid his dues. Yeah, um, he doesn't care that like a room full of strangers are standing up and clapping for him. Like, yeah, let it go, Asa. Um, but yeah, and that's I mean, and as I mentioned, Ant Man. Yep. And and that's mostly it on Michael Douglas. I will say this, and I was sort of alluding to this at the top. Um, there, there's a thing about the types of roles he plays. Uh, uh, reading this thing. Uh, According to film historian and critic David Thompson, Douglas was capable of playing characters who were, quote, weak, culpable, morally indolent, compromised, and greedy for illicit sensation without losing that basic probability or potential for ethical character that would require of a hero. Critic and author Rob Eldman points out similarities in many Douglas's roles, writing that in some of the, his leading films, he personified the, quote, contemporary Caucasian middle-to-upper-class American male who finds himself... Uh, the brunt of female anger because of real or imagined sexual slights. And that sounds wow. weird. Uh, but, uh, um, I mean, but it makes sense right. for the, the time period. You know, if this was like second wave feminism, right? Uh, and, or like, it's like the, it's, it's the same thing that happens with everything, you know, like, um, in the 70s, sexual revolution, you know, and women's liberation. And then in the 80s, it swings back the other way, and it's all about, like, machismo right. and, like, greed and men being like, oh, I am and, the one. And that was another quote from this. Some of these quotes are ridiculous, and I don't know if I particularly subscribe to this Edelman's, but I do think it's something to think about. Um, he did say, uh, quote, any kind of sexual contact with someone other than his mate and the mother of his children is destined to come at a costly price. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, he does, he plays a lot of that. There's a and, lot of sex in his life with, like, um, women who um, are not, like, the most um, attached to reality. Yes. <laughs> uh, 
Um, like, like, it's a lot of, I'm like, oh my God, he's having sex with another woman who, and I mean, this is not like me, like, this is just these movies that he was making that are filled with these problematic portrayals of women that are, they're so, so obsessed and they need to get banged by yeah, Michael exactly. Douglas. And they do. They like need Michael Douglas to bang them, which is why it's also funny going back to talking a little bit about his looks. Like, yeah. they need to get banged by Michael Douglas. And, and, and part of me is like, this is why, like, um, middle class, like middle aged men in the eighties and nineties were like, yeah, like I'm gonna go spend my money on that because he is me and I am him, and right. Demi Moore wants to bang me. But and, and that's sort of yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. Actually, that's a solid. <laughs> yeah, um, but and, uh, and you know, every dude's like, oh man, if Demi Moore was my boss, I'd let her assault me. Like <laughs> the uh, the thing that I think is interesting when you compare him to his father, though, is like I said, his father is very hard and rigid, and when he played good guys, they were like stalwart and true, and when he played bad guys, they were like. Kind of, and Michael Douglas almost has like a, uh, to like pull from Shakespeare, not physically, but mentally like a Falstaffian sort of figure. He's like this guy who's sort of like, he's, he plays these macho roles, but he's not macho. And like, that's the sort of like romancing the stone. Like, I feel like that's really who he is, where he's kind of this weasel who like falls into these leading man situations. And I like, I even think that way about basic instinct and disclosure. Like he's not like a, like, Ooh, like, Ooh, he's the, he's going to win everything. It's kind of like, well, I guess if he wins, he did it by accident. But it's also like, (laughs) Like, it's it's also that like kind of like thing where it's like, you don't have to look like a million bucks as long as you've got the brains. Right. He does give off like very, when he does play like villain. Yeah. He has, I mean, his voice is insane. His voice is great, which (laughs) by the way, uh, for I think since the mid nineties or late nineties, he's been the voice of NBC Nightly News. So like, <laughs> and he also has, I mean, especially in Wall Street, the hair just slicked back. Yeah, he does have this like intimidating presence, but it's so specific. It's not like your typical like rock Rocky like villain, you know, or like Bond villain. And 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 I do think he's the blue collar villain. He's the blue collar villain, and and the blue collar hero when he is the hero. Yeah, and uh, I think I think that like goes to say that. That's like because he's been so in control of his career as well. That's kind of how he sees himself. Yeah. Like he does see himself as the everyman. Yeah. And uh, so yeah, I think that's a pretty successful rewind. Yeah. Maybe we should get into the picks. Let's do it. Let's do our one star reviews. To to not be a jerk about this, I will say there is a lot to dislike. Yeah. <laughs> there were a lot of movies I. I did not like at, at all. Um, but I will say probably the one that surprised me the most, and I think it's just because I, I remember distinctly as a kid, like I, when I picture the trailer for this movie, I see it on VHS, um, because it was on like almost all the tapes I own, uh, The Ghost in the Darkness, uh, which was the very first film I watched from 1996, directed by Stephen Hopkins. I don't know her. Tell oh, me. really? Tell me. So, The Ghost in the Darkness is this movie that's set um, during the colonial period of Africa, um, in which um, Val Kilmer plays a man who is hired to build a bridge. <laughs> Val Kilmer, I'm already starring Val Kilmer. I'm already, I'm already kind of like on my way out. <laughs> yeah, he he plays a a, a man who's uh, hired by Tom Wilkinson to build a bridge in Africa. And he is like, I love Africa. I'm obsessed with Africa. Most suspect accent throughout the entire film. Val? Yeah, yeah. Okay. It like comes and goes, much like his acting. It's just there. What's, and sometimes it's not. What, what was he attempting to accent? Like, uh, I think like an Irishy sort of Irishy. Yeah, okay, exactly. Cool, yeah. Um, so he goes out to uh, 
to this portion of Africa where he they've hired all these locals at, to help him build this bridge. And suddenly during nighttime, uh, the people start getting picked off one by one. Essentially, it becomes Jaws with two lions. Um, okay. And so he's like obsessed. He's gonna, he's gonna kill these lions. And actually, the moment where I thought the, the movie might be sort of in tune with itself is he's telling the head of his workers, he's like, no, I'm gonna kill these lions and we're gonna build this bridge. I can do it all. And the guy just goes, of course you can because you're white. Bloop. And I was just like, oh, the movie gets it. But then about the 45 minute mark of this movie, Michael Douglas shows up. Michael Douglas is a big game hunter who left the U.S. Uh-huh. during the Civil War uh, because as as the one main tribe member that sticks around, because finally the workers are like, fuck this, we're out. Uh, the, he, he's like, this man, his two, the two main tribes of his nation fought against each other and he couldn't deal with it. So he came here to live a peaceful life. He's the head of an African tribe. He's a white American hunter. And he's like, seems like he's clearly meant to, uh, be the sort of like mysterious machismo, like come in, like, and, and like, but he is so cowardly and so Michael Douglasy <laughs> that it's just, he's not butch or like, right. or brawny or like, he's just whiny Michael Douglas. Uh-huh. Like, and it's the weirdest thing. What happened? Oh no. What do you mean you don't know? This far. The first time. The gun belongs to Dr. Hawthorne. You exchanged weapons. You went into battle with an unproven rifle. They got an expression prize fighting. Everybody's got a plan until they've been hit. Well, my friend, you've just been hit. You're getting up. That's up to you. Eventually, lions keep attacking, and I don't want to spoil too much for you, but uh, Michael Douglas isn't in it for very much because he's supposed to be this sort of, like, ethereal figure, uh, white savior figure, but... um, yeah, and it's it's at that point the movie just loses its mind uh, uh-huh. when when he's introduced, um, and it was just I don't know I thought like I genuinely liked some of the lion sequences because it did feel like Jaws it did feel like you never knew where they were coming from and like <laughs> I got a little scary, but uh, are they building this bridge at night? No, but they are sleeping in the because it's the, uh, you know the eighteen hundreds so they are like sleeping on the location where the bridge okay, is like okay, intense okay. and and in, in like big train trailers and. Um, yeah, it just, it's a lot of a mess. So basically the story behind this is this film had been through many different hands. Brian De Palma wanted to direct it, but he lost it because Bonfire of the Vanities was such a disaster. The, the, they really wanted Michael Mann to direct it. Michael Mann passed. Uh, they wanted Tom Cruise to play, uh, mm-hmm. Michael mm-hmm. Douglas's role, but Michael Douglas signed on as a producer uh-huh. and decided he wanted to play the role. Wow. Yeah. And then he thought his character wasn't in the movie enough and had 30 minutes of the movie cut out so his character would be introduced earlier. And there's like some noticeable things in the movie because there's like three people killed on camera and suddenly right before Michael Douglas is introduced, somebody mentions that 40 people have been killed. 
I mean, do what you gotta do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's just, it's a disaster on all fronts. I do think there's some good filmmaking and there's some good scoring in it, but Michael Douglas is giving a career worst performance out of some not great performances. And like, I just also think it's a failure because it's a testament to his own hubris that he right, thought right, right. he could come in as producer and be like, I'm going to take this like co-leading role and really make it something. And then for it to be such an embarrassment. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like, you know, he probably was like, I've done this before. Easy. Right. But I don't no. know any. Yeah. And it is, it's real bad. My pick is King of California from 2007. I I did not rewatch King of California because I knew it was bad. I had not seen it before, but it was available on Amazon Prime. Yes. And so I watched it. And I just, um, Evan Rachel Wood is one of those actresses where I'm just like, are you good? You mean Practical Magic Seven, Rachel Because <laughs> she plays Sandra Bullock's daughter in that movie. <laughs> We're all connected, Gavin. Um, I think she's very bad in this movie also. It's very just like... Yeah, it's a bad movie. My dad left me, and it's hard. Um, this movie, there's a lot of like... Um, voiceover work by her and yes. she's like and her she does not have like an interesting voice um and she even seems bored by this movie um this movie is about a father figure or he's a father um played by michael douglas and he <laughs> he's a father figure played by george michael <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yes yes <laughs> iconic um and he is like not mentally well yeah gets taken away um to a hospital and his daughter Adam rachel wood has to fend for herself for a long while and she's like working at, there's a lot of scenes at McDonald's where she's yeah. toiling away. Oh, I remember this. God. Yeah. Yeah. It's been so long. I, and then he is, but he's getting out and he comes back home and he just throws life back into a tizzy. And Michael Douglas, it's just not like a very subtle performance. It's very just like, uh oh, I'm a little bit weird. And you know, Chaos ensues where she's like, Dad, I'm trying to build a life and I've done all these good things. I like your Evan Rachel Wood impersonation. It's, it's, it's as pitch perfect as your impersonation of me. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. Um, glad to be nominated. <laughs> um, and the plot of this movie though is he, in, during his time at this mental institute, he has, um, figured out that there is Spanish treasure buried nearby their, um, house and he, like, He's trying to make it happen, and he's, like, got the metal detector, and she's like, Dad, what are you doing? It's the middle of the night. And he's like, oh, gold, and whatever. Um, and at first, she's like, my dad's crazy. But then she's like, but we're bonding. Like, <laughs> you just look out here, you'd see one, maybe two lights. Mom, she used to complain all the time about being in the middle of nowhere. It's still the middle of nowhere. There's just a lot more people in it now. You didn't have to sell your base and records. You just have to know when to give up. Then don't. So they have, like, bond by, like, she's essentially humoring him with his, yeah. like, investigations. Um, until he, like, sells her car to buy, um, equipment to, like, really start, like, digging up the earth. Yeah. And, um, essentially he decides that it, underneath a Costco is where this treasure is. And, uh, again, over this whole time, she's like, 
I don't know if my dad thought he was telling the truth or not. But, and like this, it's really awful. It's like, um, a voiceover that she's doing and she sounds fucking bored. Um, and they devise a heist to break into the Costco and drill down into the, underneath the, the cement. And she gets a job there to do like reconnaissance. Um, yeah, it's just like a fucking boring B like no one is really good in it. It's all just kind of like, huh? Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and and the funny thing is, is like 2007 is not even like a big like indie film year. Like the early two, like the, the the latter half of the early 2000s, right? Like is not like a like boy, it's a wellsprung of indie film, right? Like, and, and that's what it is. Yeah. So. And this movie, I think, tries really hard to like be like this charming indie, and it's just like not. Yeah. It's like a little bit weird that we're supposed to be we're supposed to be like, oh, he's mentally like unstable, but also. You know, like it's bonding their relationship, going on this like journey. It's just not a. It's not worth your time, America. Um, were there any others on your list? Uh, I have a, I have a couple. Just a. Um, I mentioned um, the Black Rain, which I didn't hate, but I just thought he was miscat. Like anytime he showed up in Black Rain, I was just like, oh, why isn't he? Why Kurt- here? Yeah, why isn't he Kurt Russell? <laughs> like, and um, and then the other big one that I just. I hate it every second of, but I don't think he's as bad as some of the other people in it. It's Disclosure. Really? Disclosure's a fucking nonsense movie, and it's so bad. It is a nonsense and- movie, and it reminded me a lot. And, and also worth mentioning from our Sandra Bullock episode, people were saying, you know, where's the net? Yeah. Um, and we, like, talked about crazy internet movies. Yeah. Um, Disclosure is a little bit, a lot of it. Yeah. A crazy internet movie where he's, like, in... There's a virtual reality machine. Yeah, and he's in, and a virtual reality Demi Moore is, like... Deleting files. Yeah. Oh no! And it's you have to like step into like the machine. It's there, there, there's a scene where his secretary or his executive assistant, like, like basically like um, testifies against him right. in the company for sexually harassing her. And at the end, he's like, "I'm sorry," and she's like, "No," or she's she's like, "I'm sorry, I had to." And he's like, "No apologies." Like clean slate from now on. And then she slaps Slap his ass yeah. as though like everything's all right. And I was just like, "This." fucking movie yeah and it's weird though because i there are some people that i like in that movie um whoever plays his attorney she's yes, really good i love her she's yes. really good and and i guess throughout the entire movie i was like i wonder what this did for like women's rights like, yeah not a lot i don't think because it's literally i mean the the and, and, and like it it the the pitch is like men can be sexually harassed too, but the execution is like men are the only people who could be sexually yeah, harassed, yeah. Like, and like and women will lie about it. Yeah, and like, women are monsters, and they might like ruin your career. <laughs> yeah, and like even the the scene where when it happens, you know, like Demi Moore invites him upstairs, right. and she's like, "Well, well, well, look at you, right, and look at me," and she's like, essentially like begging. For him to have sex with her. Yeah. And he's like, wait, but no. And then he has a moment where he's like, he's giving it back to her. And he's like being really aggressive and like, you know, consenting. And then he changes his mind, which is fine. But then she's like, you think you're just going to start something and not finish it? Like she, her characterization is like a sex hungry monster. And it makes me even angrier because she does have a good, like a good little speech. It's not the writing of it's not. Good, but her performance of about being a sexually aggressive woman right. and is the, like a nice moment, and then you find out like no, she is just doing it to fuck him over, right? Because there, that moment is in the the it's not like a trial, but where the, the lawyer the deposition, the deposition, yeah. And she's like, listen, 
Yeah. I like to fuck. Yeah. And I like to get weird. Yeah. Like, that's not a crime. Yeah, and she's just like, sorry that men can't handle it. It's almost like, oh, okay. But, like, in the end, that's not even true either, necessarily. Really? She's just an evil queen. Yeah, because at the very end, she's they they essentially both are like, ha ha ha, you played your game, I played mine. Looks like you won. (laughs) And I was like, okay. I will say, though, it's... I mean, it's a trash movie, but, like, I was like, this is kind of enjoyable for, like, a yeah. time capsule of, like, well, 94 a, was. I was telling people, uh, like, I was telling my friend Connor, he was like, oh, I really like this movie as a teenager. And I was like, I think those are the only parts of this right. movie I've actually seen. Yeah. Is yeah. the parts that I liked as a teenager. As a teenager. Correct. Uh, uh, I really did not like Wonder Boys. And it's... What? I know. And honestly... Dan Mecca is gonna kill you. Honestly, I think a big part of it is just because... Is it Tobey Maguire? Yeah. I hate Tobey Maguire's face so yeah. much. I think it's a career best performance from Tobey Maguire. Really? Yeah. Oh my god! I was like, it just sounded like very much like white dude intellectual, like not like the whoever wrote the novel because it's a novel, right? Yeah, it's Michael Chabon. Yeah, and like writing novels about writing novels, and like, uh oh, I'm telling lies. But Katie Holmes is also there. I also think it's probably a career best performance from Katie Holmes. I just don't like the story. Okay. I'm like... That's fine. She's like, ugh. He's like renting the room to her, and she's like obviously trying to fuck him. Yeah. I was like, Katie Holmes, why? So... Robert uh, Downey Jr. is there, and he's gay. That's kind of fun. Yeah, that's fun. I also saw And So It Goes, his 2014 outing with um, Diane Keaton. Yeah. I Oh, good. I'm glad you brought that up. I saw that in the theater with my mom, and if, if I see... And it killed with mom crowds. Yes. <laughs> and if I see a movie with my mom, I'm usually very like hesitant to like say i didn't like it because and that movie ended and i literally turned her and i was like i hated that uh-huh. <laughs> i was like i hated that it was very i much... do think that is one of the be- worst performances of him as well too it's all it's just very like we both are widows and yeah. kind of like and angry. i'm an asshole uh-huh. yeah. and you're nice yeah and like that's and rob reiner who directed it plays like her dimwit like <laughs> yeah i felt bad for him yeah um, i'll be right out okay take your time are you the, uh, you're the piano player? Yeah, yeah, Artie Burns. I play with Lee at the, the Oaks Bistro. Well, what are you doing here? Well, I, I, I came here to pick her up. What, you mean on a date? Yeah. No, no, you're not her type. She likes a man with actual hair. Well, I, I've been going with her. For... Sleeping with her? Well, no, I, I... I am. Don't embarrass yourself. I, I literally thought that was, you know, as good as it gets. And yeah. so it goes, like... Yeah, oh. I would much rather watch as good as it gets. Yeah. Like, uh, so yeah, so let's move into our five star reviews. All right, cool. So my five star review is a two thousand comedy drama called Wonder Boys. Wow! Wow, Louis! Wow! Honestly, bet like, you didn't see that one coming. Oh, you wanted a twist? <laughs> I mean, honestly, like I have trash taste, and I have no apologies. <laughs> um, These reviews are mixed. Yeah, it's very mixed. Uh, Wonder Boys. Tell me about Wonder Boys, Gavin. Uh, like, why am I wrong? <laughs> uh, Wonder Boys is about an aging college professor. It's all set in Pittsburgh, like most Michael Chabon stuff. Um, he has uh, written a book, and he's been working on his follow up for years. His hit book. His yeah, like his the hit, book, the yeah. book that has made him right. And he is 2,000 pages in. Like, he's yeah. ba- he basically has the reverse of writer's block where he just <laughs> can't stop writing because he doesn't want to finish it. And, I mean, obviously, like, it's a metaphor for mortality and whatnot. Um, also, at the same time, he is... Oh, they're coming to get me. Um, the uh, 
Also, at the same time, he is having an affair with yes. the... Is it the dean? dean? Yeah, with the dean's wife. Dean Francis McDormand. Dean Francis McDormand's the wife, yeah. And uh, and she reveals to him she's pregnant. Also, uh, Katie Holmes, as you mentioned, is a student of his that rents a room in his uh, house, which would never be allowed in real life. Um, Toby, <laughs> which is not real. Right. Toby McGuire is a student of his that's a weirdo, uh, but is a very talented writer. Right. And uh, Robert Downey Jr. is in town because he's his book agent. Yep. And, uh, you know, it's sort of, it's just a small slice of life. He Like, his life is crumbling a little bit. But I also think it's really funny and really witty. I think he has puts a lot of heart into it in a way that he doesn't it's sort of the, re- the reverse of a lot of the characters he plays and he really sort of as i mentioned before this falstaffian thing that he has he like plays into it he plays into like this goofy comedic thing he's also experiencing dizzy spells um mm-hmm. which are brought on essentially by the stress of writing this book that never ends um and yeah it's just sort of this like slice of life moment of him like trying to deal with the fact that he knocked up his his, I mean, the woman he loves, but also, like, his mistress. Right. And... It's a slice of life, but, like, it's funny to hear you mention that, because it's a very fucking weird slice it's of life. It's weird, but, I mean, that's the, I mean, that's definitely the sort of... Michael Chabon is a, a Pulitzer Prize winning novelist. He wrote uh, Adventures of Cavalier and Clay, Yiddish Policeman's Union, uh, Mysteries of Pittsburgh, which is his very first novel. He's a, he's a straight writer who often delves into queer themes. Almost all of his books uh, have a queer character in them. Robert Downey Jr. being one, and he ends Toby. up, yeah, he ends up seducing Tobey Maguire. Um, Honestly, I just hated Tobey Maguire in this movie so much. Oh, really? He just like, I mean, I love, that, but I love that like diner scene where he like gets Tobey Maguire's parents to come pick him up because he can't deal with Tobey Maguire. Right. Anymore. I, I mean, he just felt like a brat to me. I was yeah. like, yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's who he's supposed to be. Like, he's a person who doesn't really know himself yet. And Michael Douglas is a person, who, an adult who doesn't know himself. So he sees a lot of that reflection in Tobey Maguire, but he is also a person who's, like, lived in the world and therefore has had to, like, toughen that skin and kind of create an outward persona of somebody who does know who he is. So Tobey Maguire is attracted to that because even though the the hollow shell that is sort of Michael Douglas uh, is very attractive to him because he's like, oh, I can be this thing. I will say, Michael Douglas is almost like, I don't want you to be this thing. I want you to be you. And that is a big trunk. It holds a tuba, suitcase... A dead dog in a garment bag almost perfectly. Yeah, that's just what they used to say in the ads. Come on, Crabtree, I know you're holding. Whose tuba is that anyway? Miss Sloviak's. Can I ask you something about her? Yes, she is. So is your friend Crabtree. Is he... is he gay? Most of the time he is James. Some of the time he isn't. What do we have here? This looks like... That's our old friend, Mr. Codeine. You take the old pinch out of the ankle. Want one? No thanks. I'm fine without them. Right. That's why you're standing in the Chancellor's backyard spinning like cap gun of yours. You're fine. Yeah, you're just as fit as a fucking fiddle. The, the, the one part, or not the one part, but like a part that I did really like was when they find like the manuscript. Yeah. And like Toby Maguire literally is just like writing about how much he, how he essentially has discovered that he kind of has been idolizing. It's like Michael Douglas's character is a false idol. Yeah. Like he has nothing left in him. Um, and, uh, I thought that was like, I mean, there are definitely beautiful, like sentiments and feelings in the movie. Um, 
Yeah, but I think- but I just think I just think it's a really really fantastic performance for Michael Douglas. Um, and it's funny because it was a movie that like didn't do well, and they they brought, put it out the wrong time, and they put out this horrendous poster that is just like Michael Douglas's face, very awful. Nobody went to see it. They recalled everything. They recut the trailers, and three months later, re-released the film in time for like awards and stuff. And I just think that's really like they were all like, oh, we need to we need to play up the. Uh, um, the ensemble, but it's directed by Curtis Hansen, who I actually really like. Steve Cloves wrote the screenplay. I don't always love um, all of Steve Cloves' works. He wrote the Harry Potter films, um, but uh, but yeah, the uh, I don't know. I I just I think it's a really charming movie. I rewatched it. Um, I hadn't seen it since uh, early two thousands, and uh, yeah, I just I I really and I'm not doing this to suck up to Dan Mecca. I know it's one of his favorite movies, but I I do think it's like a career career defining role for Michael Douglas. Uh, but not not one of his showier performances, right. like a performance that just really shows he can he can act and embody a character that's really you know. Um, my pick was actually what I think you're gonna be very happy. It was War of the Roses. Ooh, I, yay! I love War of the Roses. Um, so War of the Roses came out in 1989. It's his third movie he makes with Kathleen Turner. Yeah, and like you mentioned, they're just so good together. Yeah. Um, and if you think they're good when they're in love, they're even better when they hate each other. <laughs> uh, Danny DeVito is yeah. in this movie and, and directed it. it. Yeah. Um, and it's, Danny DeVito has only directed fucked up dark comedies. And it's like such a weird movie because at first I was like, what is this movie? Like, where are we going? And because it, a lot of time passes yeah. of while well, this movie, um, and very quickly too. Yeah. And at first I thought it was gonna be like a rom-com. Of what, or you know, because you meet them when they're very young, and like she's like wanting to buy a statue at an auction, and he wants it, and oh no, antics. Um, but in turn, it, this turns out that they're both into statue collecting, or whatever, and they um, fall in love. They have kids. She is on the hunt for. She finds a house that she really, really loves, and like has consistently been driving by and leaving her number. Finally, the owners die. And so she snaps up the house, um, the family moves in, and she just gets to work on, like, making the perfect home. Yeah. The narrative is told through Danny DeVito's eyes. Their, He's, their lawyer pl- named Gavin, by the way. Their lawyer, Danny DeVito, um, and he's essentially telling this tale to a, a client of his, the tale of the roses. That is their name, their, their last name, and, um, and how they were so in love, and she built this house. And she, after she finished building the house, though, she kind of realizes she has oh, nothing. He's a lawyer. Sorry. Oh, he, he's a lawyer. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. he's a lawyer. Yeah, because he works with Danny Vito. Yeah. Um, and um, they, she re- she wants to start a company selling pate, I believe. Yeah. It's or like liver. Yeah. Um, and she's and he kind of is just like there's a really great scene where they have a dinner party. And he, she's trying to tell a story that's funny and he's like, you're not telling it right. And he like interrupts her and tells it for her. And you start seeing the cracks between, um, this couple and, um, they eventually just really start to fucking hate each other. So they tell you that she used to be a gymnast. And while they're like, he's trying to initiate having sex while they're already kind of on the rocks. And she starts like squeezing him with her thighs. Yes. Yeah, yeah. She squeezes him, him with his thighs around his waist really, really hard, and he like is like being crushed. Um, so much so that uh, unbeknownst to him, he gets a hernia. Um, and the following day, he's at a business meeting, and he has what he thinks is a heart attack. Yeah. He gets rushed to the hospital, and they call his wife, 
and she doesn't show up. Right. And she doesn't care. And so he gets home and he's like, so where were you? And she's like, they told me you were going to be fine. So I just was whatever. Um, and then he, and then she reveals, you know, I was happy when I heard the news and I thought you were going to die. So think we need to get divorced. Sorry. Why do you want a divorce? I mean, did, did I do something? Did I, did I not do something? I can't give you specifics, Oliver. Well, try. I don't want to try. Is there somebody else? Another man? No. A woman? You wish. I mean, I should be the one trying to get the divorce. You know? I mean, I'm the one rushed to the hospital suffering from uh, the severe... Uh... Indigestion. Oh, 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 you're such an expert, aren't you? Making me look like a jerk. Okay, 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 I'm sorry. I'm the bad person. Let's just blame me for this. No, no. I think I need... I, I think you owe me. After this many pretty goddamn good years of marriage, a solid reason. I worked my ass off to make enough money to provide you with a good life. And you owe me a reason that makes sense. So let's hear it. Come on. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. Because when I watch you eat, when I see you asleep, when I look at you lately, I just want to smash your face in. She wants the house, but he's like, fuck you, I want the house. Yeah. And it literally becomes... And it's just pettiness after pettiness and the, pettiness. The drags and reads that they give each other yeah. are so vicious. And I, I think it must be weirdly liberating to play people who are so vile. Yeah. And so, because they do, they become... And I like that the movie sort of paints them as like perfect sweet people at the beginning yeah so when the turn happens and they become the worst thing you can imagine and it's not even just like oh they're saying mean things to each other it's like they there's a scene where you think she has killed his dog and fed it to him yes there are um they are breaking shit left and right there is literally a moment when she gets into a huge like monster truck vehicle and runs over him inside of his beloved car yeah like it is full-out warfare yeah um and all over their house all over this house that they are trying to keep or, yeah you know and it's just like just give me the house and i'll leave you alone and she's like fuck you not at all um and i'm not gonna spoil it but in the end it's so satisfying because in most modern movies they would reconcile right something with the blah, blah, blah. to the very fucking end she is like fuck all the way yeah, off i love i love that ending that ending is just like amazing yeah without saying too much it's it's good it's it's everything you want from that movie yeah she's literally like no no (laughs) um did you have any other five stars that uh that you are at least like films that you liked i mean behind the candelabra is is definitely top five performances out of michael douglas too like he really embodies the character liberace and it doesn't feel like a caricature no and it doesn't feel like he's you know it's funny um he's like Foppish and in mm-hmm. all the ways that you know that you you would think it's I remember my mom talking about Liberace and she was always like I was a little kid and like we didn't think about that sort of even as right. but like everybody knew right like, it was like he's a he's obviously a sexual character in the movie I mean it shows a lot of him going to the bathhouses right. and stuff like that but like he doesn't 
go for the easy mincing, right. whatever. Um, and he, tr- I mean, he looks amazing with yeah. all like the gaudy glitter and like, yeah. um, uh, and like all the the, the makeup work oh they've done God. to make him look so. I mean, obviously Rob Lowe is the the like, but <laughs> Jesus like, Christ, but to make him look like he's had yeah. stuff done. And like, I mean, I will say like Matt Damon is like whatever. Yeah, he's fine. Like <laughs> like really whatever. Like if I yeah. could, I could have done without him in the movie, honestly. Yeah. Like I will admit though, there's one part in the movie where they like go to a gay video store. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I want someone to write a one act play about everything that happened for mm-hmm. this one hour they yeah. were at this yeah. gay video store. <laughs> Did that made him like throw up? Is yeah. that right? Oh, yeah. shut up, Matt Damon. Um, the, uh, I also really liked Solitary Man from 2009, which was, um, co-directed by Brian Koppelman and David uh, Levine. And uh, I don't think it's a perfect film. I think it's a really great performance, but I also really like the film's message, which is that like, he's a guy who gets a shitty diagnosis and basically is told he's going to die and then spends the next six, I think it's six or nine years, some somewhere in between kind of being a shitty person. And when you get to the part of the end where he like explains that like, He's like, you know, I, I didn't stick around for the diagnosis. I went to the nearest bar and found the first girl I could find that would come home with me. And I slept with her. And because nobody said anything about it, I just kept doing it. And I was the most honest car salesman in all of New York City. And I was like, you know what? I don't need to be so honest. I can start selling shitty cars. And I did it. And nobody called me on it. So I just kept doing it. And I kind of like the idea that he stars in this movie that's sort of the reverse of Wonder Boys, where he's like, you realize that shitty people get ahead. Yeah. Like, it will come back to you eventually, because that's what the movie, the movie's all the stuff coming back at him, finally. But he was able to do it for so long to just be a terrible person. Right. Because nobody's going to stop you and be like, you're being an asshole. <laughs> and I kind of, and his performance is really solid in that film. Also, the fourth film with Danny DeVito. Um, I also, I mean, we should talk a little bit about Basic Instinct. Yes, yeah. Um, I had not seen this movie before. Obviously, I'd heard a lot about it. Yeah. Finally saw Sharon Stone's Nana. Yeah, exactly. Um, Her Puswacha. Uh-huh. And honestly, she is a force in that movie. Yeah. Like, she's not bad. I, I, won't, I won't say that she, she's, I feel like she is somebody who is capable and has been sort of fucked over by Hollywood because they, like, cast her only as a sex symbol and right. when she aged out of that she wasn't allowed to do anything else anymore. Right. but uh, like yeah sorry but no, I, but I think uh, they are very good in it and I it's it's fun seeing the cat and mouse between yeah. them I think it is a batshit movie yeah and like it really is and uh, has um a lot it's very problematic and I'm glad at the time when it came out people were like this is not good for right. a lot of different reasons, um, like gay people, lesbians, um, bisexual people. Um, also, basically, at the end, it's kind of like they're suggesting that she did do it, but like right. she really liked that dick, so it don't matter. <laughs> well, there is a sequel that he passed on, so like I did not watch the sequel. Uh, yeah, well, he's not in it, so that's okay. Um, in general, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it's 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 a fun again. It's another fun movie where it's like people were really fucking insane in the eighties, huh? Yeah, nineties. That's a nineties film. You like playing games, don't you? I have a degree in psychology. It goes with the turf. Games are fun. What about boxing? That's a game. Is that fun too? I don't think that's relevant to this inquiry. Boxing was fun till Manny died. 
How'd you feel when he died? I loved him. It hurt. How'd you feel when I told you Johnny Boz had died? I felt like someone had read my book and was playing a game. But it didn't hurt. No. Because you didn't love him. That's right. Even though you were fucking him. You still get the pleasure. Didn't you ever fuck anybody else when you were married, Nick? How'd you know he was married? Maybe I was just guessing. What difference does it make? I mean, obviously Wall oh, Street. I oh, just, I, but I mentioned that up top. Right, and, and also, fine. I think the last thing I want to mention is the American president. Oh, oh yes, sorry, one hundred percent. Because because I went back and forth for a really long time between Wonder Boys and American President because I love American President. But part of me is like, do I love his performance or do I just love that movie? And I think I just love that movie. I, I his performance is great. Don't get me wrong. Also top five. But like the movie itself, I think. As a whole. I mean, and like, I was telling you about this earlier. I was like, wait, is this the West Wing, the movie? Mm-hmm. And turns out, yes. Why, it's, yes, it is. It's funny. Aaron Sorkin literally wrote both Sports Night and the West Wing, like, while he was writing this movie. And he used a lot of plot lines from American President. And a lot of actors. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what I was going to say. That one of my favorite scenes is as uh, uh, Martin Sheen and mm-hmm. him playing pool at the end and arguing um, towards the end of the film. Uh there's a really great moment there, which I'll probably end up not putting that in because I feel like I have to put something from the end speech because the end speech is the best. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, but a lot of the criticism of the film, like the only criticism of the film at the time was that people were like, why did you cast Martin Sheen and Michael Douglas together? No one can tell them apart. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Truly, I, I was, I was tr- it was hard watching it now just because I was like, wait, all these people who are in the West Wing and yeah. they're playing different characters. Different char- exactly. Michael Douglas is the American president. His wife has passed away and he falls in love with a lobbyist played by Annette Bening. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, he like the re-election campaign is coming up and Richard Dreyfuss is his Republican opponent who is basically dragging Annette Bening through yeah. the mud because it's an easy target. Right. I mean, that's literally, that's the very Cliff's Notes, Cliff's yeah. Notes version. I mean, it's, it's honestly like a... A very long special episode of the West Wing. Yeah. And it's fucking great. It's great. It's great. You gather a group of middle-aged, middle-class, middle-income voters who remember with longing an easier time, and you talk to them about family and American values and character. And you wave an old photo of the president's girlfriend, and you scream about patriotism. You tell them she's to blame for their lot in life. And you go on television, and you call her a whore. Sydney Ellen Wade has done nothing to you, Bob. She has done nothing but put herself through school, represent the interests of public school teachers, and lobby for the safety of our natural resources. You want a character to debate, Bob? You better stick with me, because Sydney Ellen Wade is way out of your league. Moving into our fast forward, uh, the reason why we're doing Michael Douglas is there's a sequel to that Marvel movie. That's yeah, out. I'm going to go see it tomorrow. Yeah, I'm probably going to go see it this weekend as well, to be perfectly honest. But uh, neither of us have seen it yet. Uh, I know other people are seeing it now because it is Thursday night. Uh, I hope to have this out this weekend anyways. So just to capitalize on the Michael Douglasness, mm-hmm. um, I am uh, not a fan of the first Ant-Man at all. Uh, I recorded on my very first podcast, KGB Cast, an entire podcast with... Uh, uh, very talented uh, critic Christy Puchko of, of everything that I disliked about it, <laughs> um, and that unfortunately doesn't exist online anymore. But uh, but yeah, we did an entire hour on how much I did not like Ant Man. Yeah. Um, do you think he plays a good Hank Pym? I do, I do. I like. I I will admit, I like what they did with the the Hank Pym 
character because in the comic books he's the same age like he's yeah, the, the yeah that's contemporary of all the other superheroes and i like the idea that there was stuff going on prior to like all the major superheroes happening in the marvel universe and i think michael douglas is a good choice to to play that like smarty pants it's fun seeing him play across from paul red yeah absolutely and like, they have good chemistry together yep. he wasn't my issue with it i just think it's a poorly scripted not as fun as everybody thought it was but i've heard the sequel's much better we'll see yeah um, I like the de-aging stuff they do, too, with him. Uh, the only other thing on his IMDb page coming up is something called Animal World. Um, it says it's coming out this year. Um, it's a man finds himself deep in debt and is coerced to board a ship that hosts a risky gambling party. <laughs> um, so, cool. It's I mean, it almost looks like an Asian movie. It's directed... Oh, <laughs> it absolutely is, because it is in Mandarin. <laughs> um, and it is... Uh, Three days ago, China box office, a local blockbuster, Animal World, dethrones Jurassic World, Fallen Kingdom. So, yeah, this is a Chinese movie. I was like, the director is Yan Han, and, like, literally, Michael Douglas maybe is the only white person in it. Um, I mean, there's a lot of that going around. Get those international checks, Hane. Yeah, exactly. He also has um, a TV series. Yeah, The Kaminsky Method. Comedy, they say. Yeah. An aging actor who's long ago enjoyed a brush with fame makes his living as an acting coach. And Honestly, if, I'd watch that. Yeah. And he plays Sandy Kaminsky. Uh, Sarah Baker's in it playing Mindy Kaminsky. Nancy Travis is in it. And Alan Arkin is in it. Yeah. This looks, I mean, it looks fun. It looks like a fun little, like, Amazon show. The, uh, so, uh, like, going forward, what would you like to see Michael Douglas do with his career? Because, I mean, he's definitely, like, he's aged out of the, like, suave leading man. I mean, but he's also kind of been playing the, like, older mentor for 20 years now. Right. So. And I guess we saw him do, like, old, like, old heartthrob and and so it goes yeah um didn't care for that no um what else i I mean i think he like this marvel thing is a good place for him to be um i i don't know how many more times i could see him playing grandpa or dad right like i'm really over yeah and i'm not saying like he should retire but i also don't know what i want him to do like i guess the was kind of like perfect yeah and i wonder if there are more like uh biopics out there for him that and um, maybe there are and maybe that's the sort of route but the funny thing is is he often says he avoids historical uh hmm. or historical films because he's a quote-unquote modern guy is what he's all right jan (laughs) so i mean do you think he could like pivot into like a clint eastwood type of maybe thing yeah like I the, mean, well i mean the other thing is is he's going to continue to produce right so i mean he might and maybe that's the route maybe he should just i don't want to suggest he give up acting he's fine but like right. you know yeah it sure. gets to a certain point i mean part of it's like i just use your powers for good yeah know? yeah yeah absolutely. and like i don't want to see any more like Indie garbage like California King. Yeah. That's all I no. gotta say. I think that wraps up Michael Douglas nicely. Uh, he's a family guy. He's got kids now, more kids than he had before. And, uh, Catherine Zeta's still around. Yeah. She's still doing stuff. Maybe they'll do a musical together. Ah, uh, can he sing? I don't know. Not, I mean, you heard him in Behind the Candelabra. <laughs> did we hear him? Was that yeah, him? Yeah. He did stream the impossible dream. That movie's so good. Yeah, it is really good. But yeah, so I guess that wraps up this episode. Uh, we know what we're doing for the next episode. Should we tell people? Because I'm excited for it. Honestly, tell them because I forgot. We're doing the icon. 
mm-hmm. the Cher. Le- the legend Cher. We're doing the legend Chad Michaels. Chad Michaels, exactly. Um, so I'm excited for that one. But until then, uh, you know, you're going to be waiting two weeks for that one. You can find us online. You can find us online at our Twitter, which is at The Mixed Reviews. We're on Facebook at The Mixed Reviews. You can also email us at reviewsmixed at gmail.com. And then you can, like, just download us anywhere you get your podcast. Absolutely. We're on Spotify. We're on Stitcher. We're on... All the places. Uh, iTunes. We are on iHeartRadio. Like, you can just find us all there. And if you'll take a, a brief moment to rate and review us, we would love that. And it helps other people find us, We too. would love that. You we know, would love that. Kind of like how we would have loved if Asia O'Hara hadn't tried to, like, have live butterflies come out of her breastises. Yeah. Did she not watch that episode of Bob's Burgers? Did I mean, she not? Honestly. Does, doesn't work out. Uh, but anyways, uh, until two weeks, guys. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. To dream the impossible dream. To be better far than you are. To try when your arms are too weary. To reach for the unreachable star. This is my quest.